We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Finishing up our look at the first and second rounds of 2024 redraft ADP. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find my Stealing Signals newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his great work over at Rotoviz. Sean, in the last episode, we broke down the first rounds where we are doing our fun exercise we like to do from time to time. We are trying to rank what the ADP will be for next season in redraft, the 2024 first and second rounds, the top picks, we like to do this as tight end premium, single QB, PPR. Those are the kind of the settings that we're, we're discussing here, sort of like FFPC settings. And we talked through also, we, we do this every August as well. We talked through our August results and some of the things that have shifted for us since then. We talked through our, our first rounds on the last show. We like we do these blind. We uh, like to just basically reveal them to each other right before we start, and it is interesting to see um, that they were very similar in a lot of ways, which is why I, I feel the need to, to to emphasize that. I guess our first six picks were uh, not identical in order, but the same six names. We both had C- Christian McCaffrey one, and then five straight receivers. I went Tyreek Hill, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, AJ Brown, Lamb. You went Jefferson, Lamb, Hill, Chase, Brown. The back half, we both pivoted to four running backs with the same two receivers. Two of our running backs were different. We talked about this a little bit on the last show. Again, we broke down all of these picks on the last show. Just doing a quick recap. I went on the back half. Amon Ross St. Brown, Bijan Robinson, Garrett Wilson, Jameer Gibbs, Travis Etienne, Devon Achan. You went Brees Hall, Garrett Wilson, and Bijan Robinson, Amon Ross St. Brown, Devon Achan, and Austin Eckler. So you have Hall and Eckler there. I have uh, Gibbs and ETN there in the first round. For both of us, those two running backs that we didn't rank, that the other did, were in the first half of our second round. And we mentioned this on the last show, but we both had the same seven running backs ranked between 107 and 206, the 12 picks that comprised the second half of the first round and the first half of the second round, the one-two turn, if you will. We've named six of those running backs, Sean. I had, again, Gibbs and ETN. At 110 and 111, you had Gibbs at 201, you had Etienne at 205, uh, you had Brees Hall at 107 and Eckler at 112. 
I had Bree Seller back at 204. I mentioned on the last episode that was a mistake. It was just a, an overlooking on my my part. I think your ranking is much sharper there. And then Eckler, I had all the way back at 206. The running back that I had uh, ahead of those two names at 202, you also had at 204. It was the seventh of this cohort. We left the last episode saying we would mention that guy in this episode. Probably not a surprise to longtime Stealing Bananas listeners that it is Jonathan Taylor. I haven't even asked you how you're doing, but what do you think about Jonathan Taylor? <laughs> I think that he's going to break off some 60 or 70 yard runs and we're going to be discussing him in this group with Brees Hall and Bijan Robinson. And yet I don't think you can be anything other than disappointed in what he's done so far this season. It, it certainly hasn't been a Le'Veon Bell type of situation where he held out for a whole year and came back and was done. And we didn't expect that to be the case, but there does seem to be an issue with, I mean, and one of the reasons why he was put on IR is that supposedly there were some minor health things. Now, probably it was just a hold in and then, you know, they decided to do that as opposed to a different type of transaction that might've been even more punitive. And yet, I mean, he doesn't really look like himself. We had really articulated this potential for him to be a monster if it ended up being Gardner Minshew because the offense would play fast and they would throw him the ball. But part of any thesis for Jonathan Taylor, regardless of whether it's Minshew and getting some passes or it's Anthony Richardson and the defense has to deal with both of these guys. I mean, Jonathan Taylor has to create some big runs. That's what he does. And we haven't really gotten to see that for him to have another game here. And again, I mean, you've got to go to a different country and, and do all that kind of stuff. But for him to also just look like, you know, just a guy against the New England Patriots after, you know, that had been the case for the previous couple of weeks as well. That's definitely disappointing. It's been extremely disappointing. I agree. The positive, such as it is, was the snap share rising even more, right? So the week prior, it was up to 75%, I think, just about maybe 76 or something. Uh, it was up all the way to like 88 or something percent. You know, Zach Moss only played a, a couple snaps overall. That's only been a couple weeks now where they've made him the clear guy. As you said, if he's not going to make plays, I mean, they might go back from, I mean, like, he's Zach Moss was really good. I mean, you've got to, yeah. you've got to do your part, right? I mean, they had this time period where I thought that they just wanted to, you know, basically reference the fact that Moss had been good and make, Taylor sort of earned back the starting role because he had, you know, kind of, I wouldn't say disrespected his teammates or that kind of thing. Everybody understands the business, all of that. But if you're not there and available for your teammates and someone else plays well, then, I mean, even if you're a superstar like Taylor is, you've got to work back into it. I mean, they've made the decision now and Taylor is not getting the job done. That part blows my mind. He's just, he's way too good. Now we know that a lot of his background does rely on the big play, but it's the thing where it's the big play plus actually just being good overall. And even last season, one of the things that was kind of striking is that people tend to think about Jonathan Taylor having played poorly in 2022. And yet you go back and you look at the yards above expectation for him. And he was actually one of the top guys, even in a disappointing season. I mean, with Jonathan Taylor, you're talking about someone who is just so unique 
because you have a guy at that size who is just a good overall runner who also will sprinkle in 60-yard runs. You think about Brees Hall and the argument for him, even in this horrible situation of Brees Hall has been pretty good. Brees Hall has done it where he's created those runs. It's only a matter of time until Taylor does it as well. But until you get that, I mean, it is something where you're watching these games thinking, you know, when's he going to hit? Because you know it's coming. But man, you don't want to keep waiting. He's he's too good to not have these plays. One thing I will say about Zach Moss that we haven't hit on, but it's maybe implied, is a lot of his work where he was really good was when uh, Anthony Richardson was in there. And it does impact rushing efficiency for the runner when you have a QB with he was running at a designed rate, a very high rate, and his a, his Anthony Richardson was a better runner than I think we expected. That's something that you know we talked about in the offseason. He didn't really have the rushing production in college necessarily for a guy as athletic as he was. Steichen used him really well, and as a lot of people ex- expected coming over from the Eagles, and he was running very effectively. And I think that was really positively influencing Zach Moss. Having said that, it doesn't really matter, right? Like, I mean, like you talked about the dynamics, the the teammates, all of those things. He's got to produce it at some point or it could become a problem. We both obviously believe that he's going to. And to your point at the start of that note, if he does start to rip some of those off, we might actually be talking about him around the 108 range where we ranked Bijan. Um, or, and and you had Brees that high as well. And I noted I, I would if I could do this again, put Brees up in that range as well. So that's sort of what you were referencing when you said potentially him in this Bijan and Brees range is maybe 108, 109, 110. Instead, we have him early second because we are acknowledging he hasn't been that great yet, um, but, a, but a very strong talent and somebody that we do expect to be in this mix, in this second tier of running back. So for both of us, and we talked about this on the last show, the big picture stuff, the number one, wide receivers have been so dominant this year and it it did create a thing where we consolidated our rankings really receiver heavy in the top six going into next year i i think that's going to be fun and interesting it's probably going to happen but we also both sean had a pretty big break at a point at receiver after those first five or six or seven really because we both end up with garrett wilson and amon ross st brown in our top 10 as well so after those first seven a little bit of a break and intermixing in that one-two turn range, the whole second tier of running backs, and it's a lot of names. It's seven names that we have there. Again, you go Brees, Bijan, Achan, Eckler, Gibbs at 201, Jonathan Taylor at 204, ETN 205. So all of them in that 12-pick range. For me, it's Bijan, Gibbs, ETN, Achan. I had Taylor 202, Brees 204, Eckler 206. We both had three non-running backs in the first half of the second round at 202 you have stefan diggs i have him at 203 not probably needing of a massive explanation there diggs has been a little bit worse than some of the other elite number ones there's also been you know a little bit of concern with sort of his role in a situation as i ranked him here i was thinking is he even going to be with the bills again because we're coming off a game this past week where his brother is tweeting during the game that you know josh allen only got good when stefan diggs got there and and kind of inciting some things where you're always kind of dealing with that stuff with Stefan Diggs, whoever has him on their team, but there's a possibility the bills eventually say they've had enough and they decide to move on from him a little bit more of a tumultuous player. There another player we both have ranked in our first six picks of the second round, Sean, I have him at two Oh one. You have him at two Oh six. It's our tight end one, Travis Kelsey. Also pretty straightforward. Why we have him ranked where we do. I, you know, I think you could have him 
even lower than where you have him, you probably acknowledge that, you know, you could have him, frankly, even higher than where I have him, just because it is tight end premium. And if Kelsey continues to be Kelsey next year, he's going to be a huge asset. It's just a question of how much do we expect him to fall off as he enters his age 35 season, I think it is next year. I mean, he's getting up there, right? So it certainly wasn't easy for me to rank him 201. If he gets hurt. How worried about that are you? And how worried are you about the fact that we are, even though he's still clearly the top tight end in both scoring and the key peripherals in terms of, I mean, the target per out stuff is pretty crazy. They don't have other weapons that are coming on and teams have found solutions for him more this season, certainly than they did last year. There's the potential for Rasheed Rice to emerge a little bit. There's the potential for the chiefs to come up with some answers for their offense. It's weird that we're, I mean, you have the Buffalo bills fire their offensive coordinator and yet the bills offense is far, far better than the chiefs offense right now. I mean, the turnovers, you've got to stop, but they're a little bit fluky. I mean, moving the ball is the key thing when you're looking at what a team is doing there. The, there's quite a bit of risk. I actually didn't think I was going to have Travis Kelsey in my first two rounds. You know, until you really stare at the numbers and you're like, I mean, he's still giving this big advantage and people are going to still want that. And yet, I don't think it's unrealistic at all to think that you know, by the first month of 2024, we're looking at TJ Hawkinson, we're looking at McBride, we're looking at Laporta, maybe looking at somebody like Dalton Kincaid. Certainly Mark Andrews is in the mix. If the Michael Ra- Mayer. Ravens- I mean, Michael Mayer has got some things you see- to work out. But Did you I mean- see that fade route last week from Michael Mayer? He posterized the DB. He's in the yes, he's in the McBride Mayer- Laporta ascending tight end mix for me. These guys are playing at an incredibly high level, and I'm putting Mayer with them. Well, I have a hundred percent exposure to michael mayer in dynasty i'm happy to hear you say that he's still not super playable right now no the catch that he made last week he made multiple times in college the fact that he has not drawn a lot of targets he's not super athletic i mean there are questions about his ability to separate and the raiders offense and quarterback that i think is an interesting question as we get to the end of our second rounds with Devonte adams and the whole mix there but i mean you seem like you're pretty locked in though on travis kelsey if you're going to put him really at the beginning of the second round there was not a lot of consideration for you of dropping him out entirely no actually there was that's that's funny because that's that's i would go the exact opposite that i i wind up with him at 201 this exercise as you just alluded to is us predicting adp not necessarily where we would rank it and I, I, I just blew through Diggs as well. But I think for both Diggs and Kelsey, they're guys that I think you could have made a justification to drop completely out of the second round. You just mentioned also Devontae Adams as another name. These guys, you could obviously also make an argument to, to have ranked at the top of the second round, at least at the even at the at sort of at the highest or, or even, potentially even higher, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. But as you were talking through it, what it was crystallizing for me about this exercise is these guys that we rank not really because we want to rank them there, but because we think that the market's going to want them there are probably the guys that if they are there, we're going to wind up fading. Right. And, but they, they're, they're also players that I think have the chance between when we're doing this exercise and next year to make it obvious that they don't belong there. And there's a couple ways that could happen. 
what I was going to say for Kelsey is if Kelsey has a significant injury in the second half of this year, it's like he's he's going to go a lot lower because he's that he's that age as a tight end. There's other players in this range that if they had a significant injury, would probably still go pretty high in this range, right? Like, I, I mean, it depends what the injury is and everything, right? But some of these guys that, were, that you know where they are and you know that, like, one of the receivers I have coming up is Chris Olave. If Chris Olave were to, I, I, you know, torn ACL or Achilles or something would be really, really serious. But let's just say he breaks a wrist or I don't know something that's going to heal and he's back for next year but he misses the rest of this year he's back for next year we know what he is he's a young player he's going to still be with the Saints I I would probably still rank him in this range if Kelsey has a significant injury misses a lot of time this year I think it actually really dramatically impacts his ranking or his, his ADP next year in a way that people go oh here come the injuries right this is this is it for him they did it with Cooper Cup for example as soon as you know obviously Cooper Cup had the preseason hamstring injury he falls way down and maybe rightfully so, right? Like people are very cautious at a certain age if you miss any time. And and so anyway, I had the same thoughts and I had the same concerns about Kelsey, about potentially even dropping him all the way out. And Diggs I, is less about the injury, but I was just talking about this stuff about potentially not being with the Bills anymore or being in a situation that is less advantageous. It's a similar thing where like if he were to get traded in the offseason, uh, we might wind up clearly dropping him out of the second round right dropping into a to a he almost has to be with the bills to be a second round pick maybe not a second round pick but a a one two turn the first third of the second round i think is much stronger than the rest of it at least for me it's it's more locked in i mean he, he can't stay in that range with almost any other team is i mean is that the way you see it one of my absolute favorite things in the entire world is attending a live event. The atmosphere, the sound, all the little intricate details you can see when you're there live in person. It is just an amazing time. One of the biggest downsides though of it can be the stress and trying to find tickets before the event to make sure you get the best seats and that is where game time comes in. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for sports, music, comedy and theater near you with killer deals on last minute tickets and their best price guarantee you can stop stressing over tickets start getting hyped for the fun that you're about to have game time is the place to get those last minute ticket deals and it's the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason exclusive flash deals on all the events coming up and you can buy tickets in a matter of seconds two taps and you're set and you can snag tickets today without the stress with game time download the game time app create an account and Use the code RotoViz for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code RotoViz for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, it is. It is. Um... I was just thinking through, you said the first third, I maybe I'd say the first half, but it is interesting because we have a couple different names in the first third. And I have Eckler like back at 206, you have him at 112. Some of that stuff uh, is interesting in terms of where they fit in these tier breaks. The, you So you asked me at the end of the last show about having both Jameer Gibbs and Amon Ross St. Brown at the top 10. I had uh, ARSB at seven and, and Gibbs at 10. Talked through that at the end of, of the last show for anyone who wants to hear my thoughts on the Lions offense. You have Austin Eckler quite a bit higher than me at 112. I have him down at 206. You also have Keenan Allen quite a bit higher than me. This is the first name, the highest ranked for either of us that the other one didn't rank. And I did put him in my near misses, and I highlighted a handful of near misses as the biggest near misses for me, if you will. I made a whole list of near misses to kind of consider the players I would consider and then highlighted the ones that were really hard for me to keep out. But that's Keenan Allen. I did keep him out. You have him at 203. So you were talking about uh, the, the first core, uh, third of the second round being more locked in for you. You're you're comfortable having Keenan that high. Now, Keenan has been incredible. He's been right there with these other elite number one wide receivers and has looked like a guy who, I mean, is just he's tied to Justin Herbert, obviously, and is as good as a lot of the guys that we ranked in the top half of the first round. Right. I mean, he's been so dominant as a number one. The concern for me, he's 31 years old. He turns 32 in April. I, I did have him very close to the back end of the second round. Ultimately, if I like what I'm basically describing is if I was ranking out the third round, he would have been in my top half of my third. But I think he's more of a two, three turn guy, mostly due to age. What what about him has you elevating him to 203? And in this group that you just said a second ago is one that you think is a lot stronger than the back half of the second round. Keenan Allen is tough because of the age. But when I look at him in comparison to guys like Stefan Diggs and Cooper Cup and Devontae Adams, and even thinking about Travis Kelsey, who is older than them, but at a different position. But you look at those guys, those players are all about the same age. Keenan Allen is just a handful of months older. And he's been so good for such a long time with the chargers and then you think back to the end of last season as well and this was one of the reasons why we were arguing that he was really the one guy who was very draftable in that round three round four range this year at wide receiver where so many of the other people were landmines i mean he was super hot to finish 2022 and so, again, a little bit like I mentioned in the previous show with C.D. Lamb, where you're kind of looking at their best stretch. But it's not like we're eliminating some games within this stretch, right? You looked to week 13 last year where he's really back and healthy. And now when we played through week 10 this year, I mean, you're talking about almost a full season of games. The only receivers who have outscored him are Tyreek Hill and A.J. Brown, and it's just by a hair. I mean, he's scoring equal to those two guys. And he is, I mean, he's above CeeDee Lamb, he's above Justin Jefferson, he's above Jamar Chase. And if he's playing at that level right now, 
and he's locked in with this situation with Justin Herbert and an offense where you feel you know comfortable with the offensive coordinator. When I'm looking at Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen, I think that they are in a high-powered offense with one of the best QBs, and the floor is so high, in part because the Chargers have tried to involve Joshua Kelly, but I mean he's just really not an NFL talent, and so it's going to revolve around Austin Eckler. Now, the situation with him, you know, where he's going to be next season, that could be something that factors in. But even then, you're looking at Keenan Allen and saying, I mean, his the, the moat around Allen's volume, when you think about both what he brings as a target hog and as someone who has proven the skill level over a very long stretch of time and has definitely confirmed that age is not an issue for him right now in 2023. And then you think about the overall offensive context and what that means for him because i mean quentin johnston not really there mike williams going to be coming off another injury they don't have other ways that they can go to get the volume and so i mean allen is just locked into this amazing situation for me and i think that there's nothing about his current performance that would raise some eyebrows i mean i think that he is much much safer than say even a stefan diggs uh, but much safer than Cooper Cup or Devontae Adams, two other players who, for me, also do kind of factor into this exercise, but are more borderline, more like, can you put them in? Whereas Keenan Allen, I, I just, I, I don't see any way that I could have left him out. That is all fair. I did leave him out. Cup and Adams, you just mentioned, uh, I did get into the very end of my second round. <clears throat> so a couple things I'll, I'll I would, I would sort of rebut or give give my perspective on, I think, um, number one, as good as Allen has been this year, when you watch him play, he does look on the other side of 30. Now, he's continued to be productive regardless. So that is something Did he look on like, the other side of 30 when he was 22? I mean, maybe he did, right? Like, <laughs> it's like, he's never been the most athletic guy in the league. And he's made some incredible catches. The guy has incredible hands. It's a little bit, to me, like a DeAndre Hopkins where – I mean, coming into this year, I was like, DeAndre Hopkins still has this this elite skill level. And he's continued to even make some incredible plays here in 2023. But you do just sort of see the things deteriorate a little bit more and a little bit more. And anyway, the one-handed catch that Keenan Allen made for his 10,000 uh, or 10,000 yards or what, whatever that uh, plateau was, I think it was 10,000 yards, was just absolutely incredible the other night. One of the best catches of the entire year. But it was also like fitting that he could barely jump off the ground to get up to get that play. You know, he's not particularly athletic at this point. I would say the same thing about Austin Eckler, <clears throat> who did have an injury in season this year, but has not looked the same explosive version of himself as he had that in the past. Maybe that is injury related. I'm probably not being fair there, but he's also, what is he like 28 now? He's getting up there. And so he's another one where I think, you know, ages like myself, frankly, are going to, be a little bit concerned about those guys. He has 28. He'll turn 29 in May. So next year will be his age 29 season. And so it, part of it, though, also when I'm saying like they don't necessarily look as explosive as maybe they have in the past, Quentin Johnston doesn't look like he's going to be this guy. But would it be crazy for the Chargers to turn around and take a first round receiver again next year and kind of admit that Quentin Johnston's not that guy? And I, I think the answer to that is no, it wouldn't be because they are aging in a lot of ways uh, around well, they their need skill a couple position. Of guys. And so, yeah, Mike if, Williams is coming off. Quentin Johnston hits. They need, they need more guys. Exactly. So that might be a reason they actually go and do that. And if they were to infuse this offense 
with a, a really productive rookie receiver right away, uh, or they acquire somebody through trade or something. But that's that's exactly the way that I would put it. You just said it so well. They need even if Quentin Johnson hits, they need other guys to start really building out this this. Uh, so everything you said about Keenan Allen's ability to earn volume and it being, you know, having a nice moat, I think is true. But I do think there's the potential that like in the second half of 2024, some new young player is starting to take some of that a little bit or in that discussion. And then the other element of it is as good as he's been, like for me with Cooper Cup, I still go back to his absolute ceiling being, and that's probably not the right way to think about it, but his absolute ceiling being something that was so absurd and coming into this year, everything he had ever done with Matthew Stafford, we talked about this offseason, he had 30 career games with him, that one long season, 21 games where they went all the way to the Super Bowl. And then the first half of 2022, 30 career games with Matthew Stafford and had played at just an absolutely historic level. And so far this year have not been at that level, but have also only played a couple of games together, right? Because then Stafford got hurt and Cup was hurt for the first few games. It'll be interesting to see what they do the rest of the year. Obviously, Puka Nakua, uh, you know, changes things a little bit and has, has made his mark as well. Spoiler alert, one of us has him in our first two rounds and the other has him as an honorable mention. So he's in this discussion as well. But I do think Cup's ultimate ceiling if he gets all the way back to healthy and those types of things and is essentially the same age as Keenan, is probably higher statistically, has the ability to get to just sort of an absurd amount of volume. He's actually only 30, will be 31 next year, is a year younger than than Keenan Allen. The Devontae Adams one is a little more interesting because for me, I was just thinking this guy is still so talented and might not be with the Raiders again next year. So there's just sort of uncertainty about where he winds up. I think the Raiders might just kind of you know rebuild. Um and does he wind up in a competitive situation where, you know, maybe he goes to the Jets. Jets have talked about adding another receiver. And maybe he does get paired up with Aaron Rodgers next offseason. So there will be a lot of question marks around him as well. Very good points by you, though. Um, your first half of your second round, just to, to recap it, was Gibbs, Diggs, Keenan Allen, Jonathan Taylor, Etienne, and Kelsey. My first half of the second round, Kelsey, Taylor, Diggs, Brees Hall, who you had in the first. Uh, Chris Alave at 205. Uh, I, I just, you know, noted a second ago that he is a guy that's coming up soon. And Austin Eckler. Eckler, again, a guy you had in the first round. You have Alave at 208. So I have him at 205. You have him at 208. We both have him ranked very similar to where he was ranked uh, coming into this past year. I mentioned I don't have Keenan in my ranks. I have him as one of my next misses or, uh, or near misses, next highest ranked. When you get to the back half of the second round, we have some pretty big differences. And I go um, immediately into three more picks to start the back half of the second round. So 207, 208, 209 that you don't have ranked. Um, And that frees up some picks for you to have some more that I don't have ranked as well. You do have, uh, I kind of want to start with the similarities. You do have Cooper Cup at 207. I have him at 210. We just talked a little bit about him. We mentioned at the beginning of the, the first episode, we also both snuck TJ Hawkinson into the second round as our tight end two. I have him at 211. You have him at 212. He's an, an interesting one we could talk more about. But, Sean, I, I want to ask you first about my 207, 8, and 9. I have Jalen Hurts, Javante Williams, and Josh Allen. The quarterbacks I can maybe take because they're you know obviously more of a – a macro thing. I think because of all the injuries to the middle round quarterbacks, we're going to get such strong win rates from the Jalen Hurts and Josh Allen and, and Mahomes drafters that people are going to be willing to take them high again. 
It's just been so damaging in the middle rounds. Although I think about this as I see that you did not rank them. And I think, well, you know, the Tua teams and the Sam Howell teams and some of those things might actually push back, right? And people might relearn the late round quarterback lessons. Um, So that's, I don't know that we need to spend a ton of time on that. But because I ranked two quarterbacks and you didn't rank any, you were able to fit in a couple extra skill players, which will be interesting to get to. Javante is one that I want to talk to you a little bit about, though, because we have had the same first eight running backs. He's my RB9. You don't rank another running back, but even in your just missed list, you have two other running backs, and then you have a next missed, and that's where Javante falls. And, yeah, I guess I am I kind of want to make the case for Javante, I guess. So you have correctly ar- argued since the offseason that Sean Payton's going to build this whole offense like his Saints offense is through the running backs, and it's been as extreme running back as I've seen in offense in a long time. They basically don't throw to their receivers. The only reason this isn't getting talked about more, Sean, is because – all of their touchdowns have been passing touchdowns. So the only team in the NFL that only has one rushing TD doesn't have multiple rushing TDs. They've had all these passing touchdowns. Uh, Cortland Sutton's caught seven of them. But if you go look at like their yardage, they're dead last in tight end yardage, and they're like 28th in receiver yardage. Their passing yardage is, is not great overall, uh, but then they're tied for fourth in passing TDs, right? So they're like running the ball down the field. And, and part of the reason their passing yardage overall isn't so bad is their they're running back receiving is actually really strong, right? And so their running backs, despite not rushing for any TDs in PPR as a unit are like the fifth highest scoring running back unit or something like that, sixth. They're somewhere right there in the top 10. Javante Williams has been that feature back for this team over the last few weeks. He's been particularly playing a ton on, on early downs. Pirine's still mixing in a lot on passing downs. Jaleel McLaughlin has looked great. He's probably still going to be there next year. But I think as we get into the offseason and we look at Javante Williams as a guy who was coming off multiple ligament injury for 2023, we're going to look at a guy who down the stretch in 2023 started to get more and more work and look good. And then also was going to be the clear lead back in an offense that everyone who does projections is going to say all the work's going to go to the running backs in Sean Payton's offense. This is These were his trends with the Saints. That's what we saw in Denver. And so he's suddenly going to be the lead back for Sean Payton. They might not even project to be that great. They, you know, I've made the case they're going to cut Russell Wilson. They might have some really young quarterback in place. But I do think Javante Williams is a year healthier. And as Sean Payton's lead back is going to really capture the eye of some people. What are your thoughts on Javante? Did, did, did I sell you on him as the, the RB9 after we had the same top eight? Trying to decide if if I can make a case a case for this being close, because the, my <laughs> first my first retort would be that you're just trying to back up your August version, where oh, you have Devontae Williams it. at the two o three. I didn't even look at my August, August version when I did this, but that it might be a case that I'm too high on Javante's skill level long term because. Uh, I seem to think a healthy Javante Williams is going to be viewed a lot more favorably than you do. It's 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 always fun when you know we chat a lot. We don't have a ton of differences, but when we do, sometimes we actually go in the other person's direction, and you know our ships kind of pass, and then we're waving at each other from the other side, taking yeah. <laughs> the, the previous person's position. I'm a little bit concerned about Samaj P. Ryan. 
in terms of getting Javante Williams to the second round level. And I kind of also wanted to ask you about Travis Etienne because he might be my favorite running back, you know, in the NFL sort of as compared to just the general fan or fantasy analyst. I wrote a lot about him in this week's Zero RB Universe. I did write about Javante Williams. For me, it's tough because we have a lot of Javante Williams and we really need you to be right for our teams to go and win big. And it's not just the teams I have with you, but also Blair and with Colum. And you look at what he's done over the last three weeks, especially, and averaging 17 and a half fantasy points a game, you know, almost 25 opportunities a game, which is a massive workload, 21 carries a game, the rushing EP at 11.5, the receiving EP at 6.5. Now, the receiving EP is the real question because number one, you would like to see that still be quite a bit higher when you think back to the way that Sean Payton ran the offense with Alvin Kamara. But then the second part of that is that it's as high as it is because he's gotten some targets in the green zone. Now, I do think that some of that is going to be sustainable into the future because they want him as the green zone back as opposed to Samaje Pirine who is the passing down back. And you look at their routes over the last couple of weeks, and P. Ryan does have more, but they're a little bit closer than I might have just guessed at from watching the games because it is – I mean, if you're rooting for Javante to have this massive workload, every time that P. Ryan comes in in two-minute or in third down or what have you, you're thinking, man, I I wish Javante was ready to handle that as well and or I wish that if – there's a cap because again, I mean, almost 25 opportunities a game. He's not going to get higher than that. I mean, <laughs> you, you can't handle a workload higher than that, but you'd like to switch it in with just a couple more receptions in part because that would get him in space. One of the things that was so frustrating about the Monday night game, as you're kind of rooting for him to get the points, obviously it's an Island game. You're watching there very specifically for him. And you're like points, points, points. We need the points of all of these leagues. Stop smashing him into the back of the line over and over and over. You pull up the SIS numbers in the advanced team stat explorer, and you see that the Broncos are a middle of the pack team in sort of the main run blocking metrics that we have. So it's not necessarily a problem running behind this line, but it's not some huge solution where they're going to be blowing people off the ball. And in that game there, you're thinking, I mean, he's going to have to break a lot of tackles in order to go anywhere because (laughs) there are so many bodies. And you contrast that, and also, you know, you think about what Travis Etienne has had to deal with this year. You contrast that with teams like the Lions and the Dolphins and all of these teams who are getting their running backs on the edge and what an advantage that is in terms of creating the big play and how splash plays are so important. Now, Javante Williams doesn't exactly have the same type of profile that you're looking for on a guy you're going to consistently get to the edge. But I would love to see him operating either A, in a little bit more space, B, in the passing game, or C, in an offense that I just thought was going to score more total points. And you talk about the fact that they don't have rushing touchdowns this season, and that's fluky, but they are bad offensively. And I don't know if that portion is that likely to be rectified in 2024. So we we have this big workload. Is it the type of workload that you feel comfortable with in round two? And is this offense the type of offense 
that you think can support him at a level where, I mean, again, the last three weeks, over 17 points per game, especially at running back with how hard those points are to come by, you can probably take that in round two. But if we're paying round two prices on a running back, I would really like to think that they can hit 20 points per game over a decent stretch and or that they could hit you know, 23, 24 points per game in that three-week playoff stretch. I mean, is he that type of guy? I think so. Um, 220-pound back, good receiving chops, like not necessarily great receiving profile because we know that he played in college with Michael Carter, a fellow NFL player, but he had 43 receptions right away as a rookie, as a 21-year-old rookie. Each year of his career so far, at least 2.5 receptions per game. Uh, the the low number 2.5 was that rookie year. He had four per game in his. He only played four games in his second second season. This year he's still at 2.6 per game, even though as you just noted, there's been like a lack of usage on that side. I think his usage, and you look at how limited it was in the early part of the year, and it's ramped up on the rushing stuff. I think his usage has been limited pretty specifically by the rehab, and that there's room for him to be the type of back that we are looking for, right? A, a bigger back that can catch passes is sort of the, the what, we're, what we're doing here, right? Like the whole point, like you can get the David Johnson profile you were talking about, right? The Jonathan Taylor profile, whatever. Like these guys, and then you also have to be able to be efficient and that's the key part. But he was a really efficient runner, looked really explosive and interesting his rookie season and early in the second year before the knee injury. He's been less consistently explosive this year but I think the upside scenario for him, again, and when you talk about him playing in a, in a Sean Payton offense, that's always been so positive for running backs. And I had doubts about that. I thought that was maybe more Drew Brees was, you know, was so good at dumping off to running backs. And every running back that ever played with Drew Brees had a way better catch rate than they ever did playing with any other quarterback. Because he's one of those quarterbacks I've talked about this before where it's just weird how you'd think dump offs are easy, but some quarterbacks are so much better at getting the ball to their running back in a good catchable way when they're not about to get clobbered. Right. And then not too late where the, you know, Taysom Hill was the, the the comp I used when I would describe Drew Brees years ago, when Hill would play some, cause he'd wait till the last second and then fire at his guy when there's a defender. Don't tell right Trevor now. Lawrence the drop offs are easy. Right. Right. He's Trevor like, Lawrence uh... ain't going to do it. Right. And Brees. I, so I always questioned the, the extreme running back production and Peyton's Saints offenses as being more Drew Brees. But I think what we're getting out of the fact that he's turned Russell Wilson into a guy who throws to his backs a ton, which is not something Russell Wilson ever was known for. He's more of a guy who would extend plays and throw downfield or scramble a little. I think you're getting this, in, in, you know, indication that Sean Payton's offenses are going to be pretty heavy, heavily um, dependent on the running backs. We're also getting the indication from the way Cortland Sutton's been used that the offense is a lot like his Saints offenses, where Sutton is so clearly the Michael Thomas slash Marcus Colston slash maybe even Jimmy Graham for some of those years, that one, you know, X receiver. And it, it's been bad news for Jerry Judy. It's why I'm pretty out on Marvin Mims the rest of this year, even though Marvin Mims just coming out of the bye had his first massive routes role. It did spike, but he also only had one target because this offense doesn't throw to their running backs or, I mean, their receivers. I mean, that was the whole um, sort of point of the note I was making with the touchdowns is that's masked the fact that every and game the target was so at, far behind the line of scrimmage. And so far behind Russell Wilson, that it should have been a fumble. Yeah, <laughs> right? I mean, but every game log you look at, as somebody as does stealing signals every week and looks at game logs and looks at the team's production and then writes about it, 
the the combined wide receiver and tight end production in the Broncos offense is on a weekly basis is is unlike anything I can remember in a bad way. There's not a lot of targets. There's not a lot of catches. There's not a lot of yards. It's just not there. And that's because it's all going through the running backs. Now, your your points about their offense maybe being bad going forward are well taken. But I do think people are going to look at this offense. And, and again, like I said, when they start to project it forward and say a lot of this is the, the running back target share is going to be so high and there's going to be a, a good rush rate and all of these expected points are going to go through the running backs. I hear you on some of the other backs like P. Ryan being a concern, but I think when you do that and then you also look at the fact that Williams' workload has ramped up, he was getting 25 touches per game and all of those things, and then you look forward to the next season, you're going to project him as the clear lead. And if he can get back to any degree of explosiveness as well, I mean, he's going to – probably the second round is too aggressive. I think I think you're right there. I think probably he actually winds up being more like a fourth rounder or something. But I, I think he's going to be drafted higher than, than his actual results suggest because of the profile, because of the offense he's in, and some of those factors. I'm still very much in on Javante Williams. I would like for him to pass the eye test a little bit better down the stretch. And part of that may just be continuing to come back from the injury. One of the reasons we got him at such great prices this year were the result of you know, what he's coming off of. And so he may just not quite be that guy yet. In terms of writing about him preseason, I wanted people to know what he had done as a college player and then as a rookie and then how that kind of looks – as we project it forward and then his collegiate numbers made him look like a Bijan Robinson level superstar. And he's looked a lot more like Joe Mixon or Alexander Madison as a runner to this point. And, you know, I just, in, in terms of just being fair about it, because we do hammer those guys for not adding anything. And I want to see Javante Williams add something over the second half. I think he's capable of doing that. If he does, it'll just be very exciting for us because, again, I mean, we do have a lot. Absolutely. So I have, again, we, we got into this because I have Javante ranked 208. I have Hertz 207, Josh Allen 209, and then I have Cup 210, who you have at 207, Hawkinson 211, and I have Devontae Adams at 212. Talked a little bit about those veteran receivers a minute ago. So, Sean, this opens up a lot of different names that are available for you. Because uh, you didn't rank the two quarterbacks. Um, you have Cup at 207. You have Chris Olave at 208, who I mentioned I had 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 at 205. And then you have the three players in a row at this point that I don't have ranked. Um, and there's a lot of ways you could have gone with this. It's interesting which ones you landed on, I guess. And so I, I'm, I'm really curious your notes on these guys. Certainly... They are all wide receivers. You went Jalen Waddle, Puka Nakua, and Devonta Smith before closing with TJ Hawkinson at 212. Waddle, I think for a lot of people, you know, we we like Waddle, but has not been good enough this year. Um, and, and maybe would be a surprise to see still ranked in the second round, given how much Tyreek has dominated the passing game. You also have A-Chan ranked 111 and mentioned that, you know, there's sort of only one ball in Miami. You have Nakua at 210 with Cup at 207. So a similar, how does that dynamic play out? Is there enough passing production for the Rams in 2024? And Devonta Smith, 211, again, similar deal. You have A.J. Brown at 106. 
for obvious reasons. But same thing. He has been kind of quiet behind Brown so far, similar to Waddle. Some of these number twos that were getting drafted in this range last year that haven't really produced, do they still belong in this range? I think that's a fair question. Clearly, you have them ranked there and think that the market's going to like them there. That suggests that you expect them to have a pretty good run of production the rest of the season. And one of the things that was interesting to me as I went through the profiles for some of these guys is that I think that we get the impression that a player has perhaps been you know, wildly disappointing when in fact they've just been disappointing in part because we drafted them so early. And so you look at Waddle, for example, and, and Waddle is a big miss for me. And I don't think there's any, you know, trying to, to work around that or saying it's no big deal. I mean, it's a huge miss because it's a second round pick and he hasn't scored enough points. And this idea that he was going to pull back with Tyreek Hill as a defenses try to actually be able to figure out some method for controlling Hill and then B because he's this young and up and coming star who, again, I don't think people give him enough credit for what he did over his first couple of seasons and then perhaps don't know just how insane his yard per route numbers were at Alabama. He's averaging 13.9 points per game this year, Ben, which is really bad in the second round, but it's not actually a huge problem when you're thinking about the wide receiver position overall. To put that in context, it's basically the exact same score we're getting from Chris Olave, and it's basically the exact same score we're getting from Devontae Adams, who has much, much, much larger problems, again, A, for the end of 2023, and then B, for 2024. And so for me, Waddle is pretty easy above that. When you look at his breakdown, and one of the things that's interesting is that he is actually drawing targets at a very high rate. His yard per target numbers have cratered from last season within the context of this Dolphins offense that has been so explosive. Now, his yard per target numbers last year were <laughs> crazy, and they weren't necessarily sustainable, and yet we would expect him to be extremely efficient because of who he is and because of how efficient this offense is, and because when he draws draw a target and actually catches it, he obviously has problems at the catch point, then his ability to author big plays with the ball in his hands afterward is so strong. Now, one of the things that we're likely to get from him in the same way that we're likely to get it from a Jonathan Taylor are some 60 and 70-yard touchdowns to finish out the season. I mean, his yards per route numbers are actually still very, very high in 2023, and one of his issues is that his route percentage is down at 67%. Now, the Dolphins rotate the receivers a little bit because when either Hill or Waddle are on the field, they draw targets at such a high weight. But he's, I mean, he's 10% below Hill. So a lot of what we're dealing with with Waddle, and you know, I continue to see him listed as questionable basically every week with some kind of injury, is just availability. And so if he can stay healthy and in the previous show, I mentioned that the Dolphins have a very tough finishing schedule. Maybe this is just wanting something for Jalen Waddle that's unrealistic, but I actually think he could be the beneficiary of that. And so when we look at Waddle and we look at Devontae Smith and all of these trends that have manifested in 2023, I think that those trends are very real. And so as fantasy managers, we have to consider what that means for us. 
And from a very exciting perspective, when you have Hill and you have A.J. Brown, I mean, very enthusiastic about what that means. And yet defenses have to figure out ways to take away Hill and to take away A.J. Brown. And simultaneously, the offenses in Miami and Philadelphia, if they want to accomplish their goals, I mean, the Dolphins have been unbelievable, but have lost three games and their offense looked terrible against the Chiefs. They can still improve, right? And one of those improvements has to be Waddle. You think about the Eagles and some of the close games that they've been in. You think about what they need to do to make sure that they bury the Cowboys, bury the 49ers, bury the Lions, and have created an offense that when they play the Kansas City Chiefs or whomever they meet in the Super Bowl, that they are like clear-cut favorites. Because I really think that's where the Eagles should be right now when you consider what the Chiefs are on offense. And that means Devontae Smith has to go back to making the big plays. The other thing with Devontae Smith, which, I again, you don't expect something necessarily to manifest in the exact same way every season, but his numbers exploded last year when Dallas Goddard got hurt. That could be a catalyst for at least a meaningful jump again for him. And what, one of the things you're dealing with with Devontae Smith is maybe you have a ceiling problem, but I do think that the floor is fantastic. And it's a floor where, again, in a worst-case scenario where A.J. Brown suffers some kind of injury, I mean, you're talking about Devontae Smith potentially being like a 108-109 type of like true fantasy value from that point forward. I think both of those guys as the number twos in offenses that are that explosive, when you think about their profiles as college players and then what they've actually done as young players in the NFL, being disappointing to start this season I don't think is a long-term concern for either one of them. I mean, there's an element to where perhaps Olave is a little bit more of a risk when we look forward to 2024. Yeah, those are great points. That makes sense with those two offenses specifically and sort of the contingent upside of those two guys. I like that take. What about Puka? Because that's not quite as explosive of an offense, the, the Rams, as you know what we've seen from the Dolphins and the Eagles. Maybe even some concern about Stafford and all that, but also a very concentrated offense. And, and there's some concern certainly about Cup aging out, but you do still have Cup ranked very aggressively. How does the Cup and Nakua tandem, how does that intersect in, in your thoughts for, for 2024? Now, for me, this is the very most difficult one because there are so many things that could happen here. And there are so many, I think, key points that work in different directions. When you're looking at Puka and you have a rookie who is averaging 17.7 points per game and has demonstrated an elite ability to draw targets from the first snap of the NFL season and is in an offense where as long as he's healthy, you can trust the quarterback to continue making those types of plays. And he's in an offense where... I don't know that Sean McVay is perfect, but you're talking about a recent Super Bowl champion who is young and is involved in some of the innovative play calling and scheming that I think will continue to have solutions for some of the things that the defenses are throwing at you. And so my sort of structural risk from an offensive perspective for both of those guys is very, very low when we look at that. Now, there is some concern that, McVay has managed to be very running back heavy from a touchdown perspective. And so perhaps that cuts against the ceiling for Cup and for 
Nakua when we'd like to have them throw in some scores along with all of these targets that they're constantly drawing. But I guess I think that as this offense takes the next step and you think about, well, what do the Rams need? And you mentioned that the Rams need Quinton Johnston to hit and they need another guy, even if Keenan Allen is still there. I think that the, or the Chargers need that. I think the Rams need Puka to hit and then they may actually still need another guy on top of that with Cup potentially aging out as well. I mean, when you look at Cup and you look at Allen and you, I mean, even think about somebody who's in the just missed category for me in terms of Mike Evans, those guys have been very, very good. And Cup, when he came back, you immediately saw how much more dynamic he looked than Nakua, right? And yet the risk there is substantial and the turnover is going to come at some point. So part of my thesis here is that one of these guys is going to be a clear-cut second-round pick. And when you put them both in, you're going to hit on the one. But I actually think they can both do it. And I'm really excited to see what happens in the second half of the season for them desperately want Matthew Stafford to be healthy because if he's healthy, I think you're going to have both of those guys go on a run. That makes a lot of sense. Going back to when we did this in August, I am, I'm thinking through how we didn't uh, spend a ton of time on the just missed and, and next missed categories. Um, but I, I remember that I got a lot of questions about some specific players Two that come to mind that I remember getting asked about a couple times was uh, were, uh, Drake London and and Christian Watson, who are guys that were year two receivers that had pretty good ADPs. And it was like, why wouldn't they be you know potential risers into we were naming off like Jahan Dotson and George Pickens and a lot of those guys that were in similar year two, you know, but but we expected to ascend in, in year three. We don't see any of those four actually in our just missed because none of them have particularly done great here in their year two seasons. It's been very frustrating for the guys in year two that you wanted to make a leap. It's, it's been a bad year for them. That's been kind of the counterbalance or the interesting context with these number ones, the true number ones going off is that we haven't gotten that second year leap. And so there will be players as we go through these uh, just missed lists that aren't named that maybe some people are listening for, but I do want to let, we both have kind of slightly lengthy names. I do uh, lists. I do want to list them out. And so I'm going to read a bunch of names. I'm just apologizing in advance to the listeners, but I do think people are actually really interested on the guys that we thought of next and in this range and, and based on the feedback I've gotten. So Sean, you have two little lists, just missed and next missed. Your just missed are Devonte Adams, who I had at 212, Jordan Addison, who was one of my main near misses as well, but a name that a lot of people will probably be curious about gets back to some of that team stuff though. For me, it was, we, we both pushed Hawkinson at the back. It was, it was impossible for me to have Jefferson Hawkinson and Addison in the first two rounds, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Kenneth Walker, Sam Laporta, Trey McBride. You talked a little bit about both those tight ends through the two episodes we've done. Mike Evans and Alvin Kamara, a couple older names, but they sneak in there in your next mist. You have Brandon, Ayuk, Tony Pollard, Javante Williams, Nick Chubb, Dalton Kincaid, and Zay Flowers. So that's your list of what is that, 14 names that you had been considering that maybe would comprise a third or into the fourth round. For me, I did it by position, but then I mentioned that I wound up highlighting seven names that were, I guess, my my just missed. And I, in that group, have Addison, I have Keenan Allen, I have Brandon Ayuk, and I have Jalen Waddle. Waddle and Allen both made it into your list. Uh, Addison, one of your top names in the just missed. I also had Ken Walker here, who was in one of your top names in the just missed. And I had Mark Andrews and Sam Laporta. I didn't see Mark Andrews on your list. I'm guessing that was 
a little bit of an oversight, right? You, you, yeah, you're nodding for those who aren't watching us on YouTube. Pro intended to have Mark Andrews in that uh, just missed range. The other players that I had as sort of my next tier of misses, Patrick Mahomes. I mentioned that I had the top two quarterbacks in my list. DeAndre Swift, Josh Jacobs were the other running backs I listed. So this is kind of interesting. I got Javante in there after the we had the same top eight running backs. You didn't necessarily love that as the next. The other two running back, well, we both had Ken Walker here, actually, as our top running back that missed. But then the next two that I mentioned, DeAndre, DeAndre Swift and Josh Jacobs, you don't have anywhere. In your next miss, you have Tony Pollard and Nick Chubb. Those are two that I thought about. Oh, and Alvin Kamara. Those are three that I thought about. And I probably would have listed Pollard here. I just sort of made the decision that I wasn't going to rank those guys. And so I didn't end up putting them on my near misses. Kind of oversights on my near miss list as well. I only had a couple running backs on my near misses. The other players I had, uh, some you mentioned, like Mike Evans. Uh, I have Debo. I have Devonta Smith in the rest of my list here. T. Higgins, Michael Pittman, Puka Nakua, who you did have in your list. I had Nico Collins in here at JSN as well. I kind of was just listing that those aren't in any kind of order listing them to, to keep in mind players that I might sneak in as I was doing the exercise. So that was the guys that we did not have in, but were at least considering in terms of going through the processes. There are also guys that fall out, right? Or, or <clears throat> have been going in the top couple of rounds, but no longer are. We don't uh, have them listed out here, but there are some, names i mean like i'm immediately thinking of like the derrick henry's of the world and some of those running backs Ramondre stevenson neither of us brought up he was at that two three turn this past year i didn't even list nick chubb in part because of injury various reasons to have and, and then you know some of the receivers like calvin ridley snuck into the second round this year some of those guys are falling back christian watson drake london have not hit in a way those second year receivers have not hit in a way that we would necessarily even consider them near misses at this stage. From a macro perspective, Sean, we both have a lot of receivers near the top of our lists. And, and again, we've went through this on each episode, but Christian McCaffrey is our one-on-one. The next five were those elite number ones. And then also Garrett Wilson and Amon Ross St. Brown coming in right after that. So um, seven of our top 10 were those seven receivers for, for each of us. We also both had Christian McCaffrey one, so seven of the next nine picks. We both had Bijan Robinson in the 108-109 range. And so nine of our top 10 were the same, basically. Seven receivers, those two running backs. You had Brees Hall up there. I mentioned I should have had Brees Hall higher up. From that point, just to recap, from that point on, from Brees Hall, you had Achan 111, Eckler 112, and then your second round was Gibbs, Diggs, Allen, Taylor, Etienne, Kelsey, Cup, Alave, Waddle, Nakua, Devonta Smith and Hawkinson. And for me, starting at 110, because my first nine is those same players I just referenced, Gibbs, Etienne, HN, Kelsey, Taylor, Diggs, Brees, Alave, Eckler, Jalen Hurts, Javante, Josh Allen, Cup, Hawkinson, and Adams. So those were the lists again. But, but again, Sean, I think from the macro perspective, the early receivers, a lot more running backs at that one-two turn we're projecting for next year. You have some receivers sneaking in. To the back part of your second round, a lot of my near misses have receivers. It does feel like our third rounds would have a lot of receivers as well. And then also, I think more tight ends, even though we both only had the two ranked in the second round, Kelsey and Hawkinson. We spent a lot of time talking about Laporta, a lot of time talking about McBride. Andrew's another one, obviously. We might have five tight ends by the end of the third round in tight end premium next year. 
So you're, I think you're going to have more running backs coming up, but it's still going to be a similar dynamic where there's probably not going to be a ton of running backs through four rounds, right? Like there's not a lot of other names that make a ton of sense here at one oh or in the in the third round. I almost said one oh three in round three and in round four. And even after these first eight came off, like I said, you didn't have any running backs in the last seven picks of your second round. And even they weren't even in your first three names of your just missed. It's not like you were forcing the running backs out. They're just and and even the ones that we named as as missed, we had different running backs named for the most part. There's not a lot of other names there other than Kenneth Walker that show up for both of us that we both think belong here. I think one of the big macro takeaways is yes, there will be like a, a tier of seven or eight running backs near the top, and maybe two tiers with McCaffrey in his own, and then the others. But then there's going to be another pretty big gap until we see a lot more running backs. And probably the big discussion that will come up for 2024, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what ADP does look like, is whether or not 2024 gives us this same chance to draft electric playmaking running backs deep into the dead zone, because that was the fun part about this year. You know, a couple notes on these running backs who might be in this next mix. I have Alvin Kamara just out, but his profile is almost identical, if not slightly better than Austin Eckler, who I have at 112. One of the things there with Kamara, I do think that there's some structural risk, and he has gotten to be so bad now from a multi-year perspective as a pure runner that I think that gives you real pause for concern. The only player in the NFL with 75-plus carries and a worse evasion rate is Ezekiel Elliott. So that's why I have him out, even though they're close. I think that Alvin Kamara, I mean, if he keeps up his receiving volume, one of the things with Eckler and Kamara is just that they're the only guys in there with sort of the Christian McCaffrey who have that holy grail type of running back profile where it's close to the EP double-double, and it's hard to not have those guys in, even if they're not very good pure runners. I mean, Austin Eckler has also really struggled as a runner this year. The contrast with someone like, an ETN who is unbelievable, but is in a, a weird collapsing offense with Kenneth Walker, who is in that mix with guys like Hall and Robinson and A-Chain and Gibbs as the most dynamic running back in the NFL. He may lose his job in the second half of 2023, which is who would put a lot of pressure on him to get anywhere close to round three for fantasy purposes next year. So, I mean, we have some serious questions about those running backs the running back landscape next season, just like it was this year, will be absolutely fascinating. It will be. I, this is always such a fun exercise, Sean. The the macro stuff, even as much as the player takes, um, it's really fun to think through what the market is going to do, how it's going to respond and react. Um, often when we do this, I find myself sort of tearing together some of the positions. This year I felt like it was a little more like, either or i i'm looking at my second round there's at no point in my second round did i have two players from the same position back to back like you do have a stretch of like five receivers but i was just bouncing from running back to receiver to quarterback to tight end there i think there's a lot of ways that things can go we've hit on some of the things that are very similar between ours that um seem like they're going to be a likely outcome where there will be a few more running backs going up in that range and some of those things but 
I'm always intrigued to see what the market does. And there's often times where we think it's acting irrationally and we're like, this is crazy. So there's probably going to be some things because there are some ways, different ways that things can go, especially when you talk about the top names consolidating so much production. What do you put in that next group, right? Like what what is the round two focus when the gap from round two to round five might not be as wide as it used to be, right? Like what what, what positions matter more and then what, what are the opportunities that are created as a result just looking at the ways that you and I did this and that some of the key differences, even though they are so similar and we do think very similarly, I'm fascinated to, to find out what the rest of the industry will think. It's going to be fun. Uh, I think, I, and we've said this, Sean, but the, the league itself, scoring's down, not quite as exciting and everything, but it is a really fun time for fantasy football for a few different reasons. From an analytical perspective, we are transitioning in a lot of ways. We're transitioning at the quarterback position, most obviously, but in a lot of different positions, we have Get, you know, we're, we always have guys aging out, but um, who are going to be the superstars of the next, you know, decade and, and some of those things is it's a it's a interesting puzzle and, and more player movement than ever. Bigger trades, a lot of things happening in the NFL these days that have created a lot of fluidity in the market. And, and so anyway, the, these exercises are always so fun. I'm really interested to see how close they are when we actually get to. You know, the early part of 2024 draft season, just in a couple of months here. And then obviously with best ball being so huge, all 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 offseason, right? We're going to be adjusting these ADPs and talking through them. So a lot to come on our look ahead, but also in the 2023 season. And obviously these names that we ranked are ones that we think are going to close out the season strong, potentially be some league winners. Sean, we talked about it on the first episode. You made a great case for C.D. Lamb. He might be a guy who determines 2023 seasons. This might be the year of C.D. Lamb, but there is just so much uh, to look forward to. So this is always a blast. I, I enjoyed doing it with you. I completely agree. And I, I have two quick notes and then a question I want to leave you with, and we will get you out of here to your other pod. Ben, I think that Jalen Hurts is going to fit in instead of one of those two Rams wide receivers. So that's where I would put the QB. I think some listeners are going to question the emphasis on tight ends when tight end is a lot deeper this year than it has been. This is kind of the first year where that tight end depth has actually come through. But I think that the tight ends are going to give you your flex firepower where before people have been looking at the wide receiver position to get there. If you get two tight ends who are dynamic on your roster, then you tilt the field at both tight end and you're starting to address the flex and you've got a little bit of redundancy. So that's why I think that the top tight ends could be pulled up exactly as you're saying. And then my final question for you, if JSN has three 20-plus point games sometime between now and the end of the season, which he's going to have, if he's the clear wide receiver one in week 18 for the Seahawks, is he in round two next year? Yeah, he's at, he's at like 203. If, the, if he has three 20-point games and does all of that, he's, uh, he's going where Garrett Wilson was going in the early off season and then probably creeping into the back of the first round by August, just like back of the first the round. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's what happened with the game. I mean, come on. We, we, with second year players, we, we started the, this, this um, exercise talking about this, but with second year players, you don't have to do that much because people do still look at the profile and there was so much around JSN and what he did in college alongside Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave at Ohio state. The combine was so good. The offseason reports from Seattle were so good. The only thing that's keeping him out of the first two rounds for me is the fact that he, the role hasn't materialized. I do think there's a logical reason they've been keeping, you know, bringing him on slowly. Didn't play a ton of footballs last year at Ohio State. Had the broken wrist early. 
in uh, you know this season. I think that's the clear reason pre-buy that they weren't doing anything with him. If you go look at his game log, it's gotten a lot better post-buy, even though he hasn't had the breakout yet. If the breakout comes with three 20-point games, like you said, no-brainer, second-round pick. Easy answer. I do want to say also on the tight ends, though, Sean, I loved that point. I was looking at some uh, best ball results. And one of the things I'm noticing when I look through all the best ball results is the teams that are are, are most successful are doing better than they seem like they should. They're the teams that have the tight ends, right? Like the teams where, you know, my own rosters, where I have a good tight end and then I have Laporta as the tight end too, right? Or, or three tight ends and Laporta's in the mix. Or, um, you know, some of the other later, I have McBride at the end and I'm like, man, this team's going to be good. The tight And then the teams that don't have the tight ends they're they're on the bubble to advance and i'm looking at them and i'm going okay there's two good quarterbacks have stayed healthy bunch of good running backs bunch of good receivers love this team and i get down to the bottom and i'm like oh i have greg dulcich and you know somebody else who's not playing it's like the tight ends are so important uh even more important when they become more good ones because the gap down to the bad ones is getting is is wider right i mean there's not a middle class at tight end, right? There's there's a lot that just don't do anything. So really important position. I, I'm glad you emphasize that. We've wrapped it up. Those are your two rounds. Those are the players who are going to be drafted early in 2024. Make sure you are making those dynasty trades over the next couple of weeks as you hit that trade deadline. I'm Sean Siegel with me as always is Ben Gretsch. Make sure you're following him at Yards Per Gretsch. Please sign up for Stealing Signals. And maybe, most importantly, Stealing Signals Gold. That's your chance to get in there and interact with Ben. Stealing lines, ship chasing, everything over there I mentioned. He's going to have a podcast out with JJ. You won't want to miss that either. We'd love to have you over at Rotoviz. Coupon code there, RV Radio 2023 at checkout. Get yourself 10% off a one-year subscription. You can hop over and listen to me with Colin Kelly anytime you want on Rotoviz Overtime. Appreciate so much, everybody, leaving the ratings and reviews. Those help us out with the algorithm. We love you guys. We'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.